I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi there, and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. And today we're going to look about the relationship between the uh, print media, the newspaper industry in um, Nazi Germany, and um, the Nazi state itself. And we're looking today again at um, Nazism, a documentary reader by Noakes and Pridham. Um, the Noakes and Pridham series, um, if you're studying uh, Nazi Germany or teaching it, is simply uh, indispensable as a source of uh, primary evidence and also really, really sharp uh, analysis. Anyway, without further ado, Noakes and Freedom Right. Since the radio was already controlled by the Reich uh, and the States before 1933, its coordination proved relatively easy. The press, which was in the hands of private companies, political parties and religious bodies, was another matter altogether. To ensure the regime control over the press, three main policies were pursued. First, those involved in the newspaper business, publishers and journalists, were subject to strict controls. Secondly, the party's publishing house, Iher Verlag, um, acquired the ownership, either direct or indirect, of the bulk of the German press. Thirdly, the propaganda ministry maintained a continuous control over the content of the press through the state-controlled press agency via a stream of directives issued at daily German press conferences. So, uh, the um, trilogy of um, books on Nazi Germany by Richard J. Evans, uh, the second of which, um, The Third Reich in Power, features uh, a lot of coverage uh, about the, the nature of the press. And the point that he makes is that most editors and most proprietors of newspapers could see the writing on the wall long before 1933. Um, They were aware uh, of the inevitability of um, censorship, of totalitarian control, of channels of discourse like the newspapers, and they saw it as ultimately futile to try to fight it. Um, The point that he makes is that newspapers went through a great deal of self-censorship in the knowledge that um, there was no point in attracting the the wrath 
of um, the Reich Propaganda Ministry uh, and the Nazi Party uh, in general. Um, Noakes and Pridham write that following the takeover um, of uh, Germany by uh, the Nazi Party, 1933-34, the German Publishers Association, the VDZV, um, tried to uh, preserve the position of those publishers who tried to seek um, a, a kind of a cordial relationship with the state. It actively encouraged and created um, channels of communication between uh, the state and um, client publishers and editors so that uh, cordial relationships could, could flourish and nobody needed to actually be coerced. The, um, the members of the VDZV were encouraged to be self-coordinating and Hitler and senior Nazis made sympathetic noises to those editors and proprietors who behaved in this way. The um, members of the association whose faces didn't fit, who had uh, politically uh, unpalatable views in the eyes of uh, the Nazis were um, removed and replaced with Nazis. And uh, Max Arman, who had been the original publisher of Mein Kampf, and who was the head of Iher Verlag, um, was made uh, chairman of the organisation. Noakes and Pridham write, On the 30th of April 1933, the Journalists' Association, the Reich Association of the German Press, felt obliged to elect the Nazi press chief, Otto Dietrich, as chairman, at, and at the same time uh, announced that in future, membership of the association would be compulsory for all journalists, and that all members be vetted for racial and political reliability. Of course, it goes without saying that uh, Jewish journalists had um, very, very bleak career prospects. There was no official law, um, rather like the um, laws banning Jews from the civil service and the medical practice. Um, however, uh, it was considered to be um, political suicide for editors to keep mem Jewish staff members on. On the 4th of October 1933, um, the regime uh, changed the position of the newspaper editor, uh, and in particular the relationship between editors and publishers, uh, in a major piece of law which was known as the Editor's Law. The Editor's Law was based on a journalist's bill, of 1924, which had at the time been rejected, uh, and it was also uh, based on a piece of Italian fascist press legislation. Uh, and here are some of the clauses of that piece of legislation. Participation in the shaping of the intellectual content of the newspapers or political periodicals published within the area of the Reich, whether by written word or by dissemination of news and pictures, and whether carried out uh, as a main uh, employment or based on an appointment to the position of editor-in-chief, is a public task of which the professional duties and rights are regulated by the state through this law. So here was um, a dramatic extension of the power of the state into uh, the editorial process, by saying that this was no longer a private business, this was a public task. What was being said by newspapers was of public 
concern. Another clause reads, the Reich Minister for Popular Enlightenment and Propaganda will determine which periodicals are to be considered as political within the meaning of the law. In case the periodical affects a specific vocational field, he will make the decision in consultation with the highest Reich or state agency concerned. So it was Goebbels' role to determine what was to be politicised and what was not. And ultimately, uh, nearly all print media falls under the auspices of being politicised uh, in the end. Participation in the shaping of the intellectual content of German newspapers is also considered as such. Even if it does not take place in the management of a newspaper, but in the establishment which is to supply newspapers with intellectual content, the written word, news or pictures. So this was essentially saying that the creation of news content, the creation of written content, was a political act, just as um, the role of editor could be seen now as a political role, and publications could be seen as politi uh, political uh, entities, now the simple act of writing the news, writing it from a particular perspective, choosing particular kinds of news stories to cover, uh, ignoring other kinds of news stories that might not seem newsworthy. These are seen as political acts. Editors must possess German citizenship, have not lost their civic rights and the qualification for the tenure of public office, are of Aryan descent and not married to a person of non-Aryan descent, have completed their 21st year, are competent at business, have been trained in the profession, have the qualities which the task of exerting intellectual influence on the public requires. And it's always these broad uh, and kind of slightly open um, uh, catch-all concepts uh, that mean that um, the Nazis do control absolutely everything in the end. Having qualities which the task of exerting intellectual influence on the public requires. What kinds of qualities? Well, loyalty to Nazi doctrine and the ability to uh, have the judgment if, um, to uh, not uh, bring about any ideas into kind of the public forum that are contrary to, to Nazi ideas. So the responsibility for editorial content was placed in the hand of the editor and as long as the editor was willing to abide by um, the new uh, Nazi control of the newspaper industry, they became largely unsackable. Publishers who uh, owned the uh, newspaper businesses or who acted on behalf of um, wealthy owners. These uh, individuals tended to lose a great deal of status and power um, to the editor. The editor was the person who would be making the kinds of day-to-day -day decisions the Nazis wanted enacted in the print media. Um, the editors um, perhaps uh, considered themselves to have a greater autonomy very briefly, but the result ultimately was that they lost all of that and uh, simply gained new bureaucratic managers and uh, bureaucratic masters in the guise of the state as opposed to uh, that of uh, private capital.
The law even defined newspaper editors as a state organ who is called upon to fulfil one of the most important tasks of the state. So they were looked upon really as um, semi-private um, employees of or workers uh, who worked on behalf of the further needs of, of the Nazi state. Um, under the law, the Reich Association um, established a list of accredited journalists and a system of professional courts to enforce a journalist's code, which also operated on the basis that journalism was a public function. Now, we are used in democratic societies to thinking of journalism as having a public service value, uh, and that, you know, for example, investigative journalism um, serves the public often at the expense of state malpractice or malfeasance. Here, the um, terminology is interesting. The blurring of the state and the public is, is central to Nazi thinking because the idea was that as the public is, uh, once the Jews and gypsies and things like that have been got rid of, uh, will be a, a homogeneously a racial body, a racial organ, um, then a racial state is the only natural form of government that can represent them. And therefore, a Nazi party um, is able to exert its power with some uh, kind of moral clarity over things like the newspaper industry and simply tell them you are now um, a, there to serve the public. And by serving the public, the only way you can serve the public is by serving the Nazi party, which is the ultimate expression of the people's will, this kind of naked racial populism. Um, the Reich Minister uh, of Propaganda was appointed uh, president of the association and was given a veto over the admission um, to the occupational list. So anyone he didn't like the look of uh, didn't get the right to work as a journalist. If you were a journalist, you knew that you could be held to account legally for what you wrote. Uh, by 1935, 1300, Jewish and Marxist journalists had been purged from the profession. Um, the law um, represented a huge victory for Goebbels um, and for Dietrich. But the um, assault on the press had obviously begun significantly before that. I mean, for example, on the 15th of November 1933, Max Arman uh, gained control over German publishing um, when he was appointed as the president of the Reich press chamber. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, which had been established by law uh, relating to the Chamber of Culture uh, of the 22nd of September 1933. Clause 4 of the regulations of the Press Chamber made membership of the chamber compulsory for all those engaged in publishing. So if you wanted to publish, you needed to be part of the Reich Press Chamber. Under Clause 10, anyone could be excluded from membership who was considered politically unreliable or who lacked suitable qualifications for the profession. Um, while Clause 25 empowered the Reich Chamber to lay down the conditions for opening and closing down businesses and to regulate all important matters concerning the publishing of businesses. So what that meant is journalists could be dismissed um, for virtually any reason, um, and at any time they were deemed to be unsuitable. And also, newspapers could be shut down. And it was these sorts of things that really focused the thoughts of um, newspaper editors, and also the existence of concentration camps, the knowledge that um, it, it didn't necessarily stop there, that one could be uh, arrested uh, and imprisoned. It was these clauses that gave Armin total power over German publishing. Um, his power was largely exercised by his deputy, Rolf Reinhardt, who uh, ran the Publishers Association, which was reorganised later on the 18th of February 1934 as a comp um, compulsory membership organisation, and it was directly suborned to the Reich Press Chamber. So the following statistics give you a breakdown of the consequences of all of this. So in 1933, Germany had more daily newspapers than America, and more than the combined total of France, Britain and Italy. The um, media kind of uh, ecology, the media infrastructure in Germany, was so enormously diverse. There were papers... Um, for uh, daily national newspapers, regional newspapers, uh, political parties had newspapers, trade unions had newspapers, uh, religious organisations had newspapers, and there was a wide, wide variety. Um, Stuttgart alone, with a population of 400,000, had nine newspapers. Stettin, uh, with um, 254,000 people, had five newspapers. It's one newspaper per 50,000 people. It's quite, quite extraordinary. Um, most small rural towns had one. Many of these papers were uneconomic and had been badly hit by the Depression. So many were uh, wiped out by the Depression, were, were closing down as a result. At the end of 1932, the 59 
Nazi daily newspapers had a combined circulation of just 782,121, which accounted only for 2.5% of the total. Um, they were largely um, poorly written, poorly edited, poorly produced, and constantly suffered from financial difficulties. In fact, the only time that Nazi newspapers really make any money is when they become largely compulsory. Uh, and they are able to uh, be, uh, take huge subsidies from the state, and there's all sorts of graft as well, uh, too. When the Nazis seized power um, and managed to exploit the new situation to strengthen their position at the expense of socialist and communist newspapers, um, they were able to um, put socialist uh, and communist uh, publish out, uh, publishing houses out of business um, quite easily by sometimes just burning them down, uh, other times um, marching in, arresting the staff, giving them a good beating from the brown shirts and saying this establishment has now changed hands. Um, so simply sort of violence, arson and theft were what wiped out a great deal of the newspapers of the left in Germany. By the end of 1933, the Nazis had acquired... Uh, to use the, the broadest sense of the word, 27 pa newspapers and increased the total circulation of the Nazi press by 2.4 million copies a day. This process continued during 1934, particularly with regard to the large publishing firm Ulstein that was Jewish-owned, um, uh, which um, was uh, seized by the Nazis. Um, uh, Armin and Reinhardt, were unhappy, by and large, by the lack of party control over German newspaper publishers. And by 1936, when action under Clause 10 of the Press Chamber regulations had been completed, only about 100 newspaper publishers had been declared ineligible, and large numbers of other middle-class publishers were outwardly conforming were clearly by no means national socialist in spirit. So this is here is one of the kind of the paradoxes of totalitarianism in Germany, in that um, there were a large number of organisations that made the right noises, who uh, were not by any means directly oppositional at all. Who wouldn't have dared to be to be that, but they did what they had to do. Did as much as um, as they, they had to do to keep the Nazis off their backs, and continued to some extent in, in much the ways that they had been um, uh, writing and publishing. So small newspapers in German towns that um, were not necessarily anti-Nazi, but they knew that their readership liked a certain kind of journalism and liked... Um, the regular kinds of news and features that they come to expect. Uh, and many of these newspapers knew that they had to accommodate the Nazis and to um, write Nazi-friendly kind of stories, but tried ultimately not to be too radically changed and tried ultimately to give their readership, um, who would perhaps best be described as um, uh, local with uh, kind of parochial um, interests in 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 the the news of their area, and perhaps conservative with a small c, and you know 
many people that receive a news, local newspaper like what they like. Uh, and they were trying to walk a tightrope between keeping their readership and appeasing the Nazi state. More um, prosperous newspaper chains, uh, known as the General Anziger Press, um, ha that had little interest in politics and were looking to create wide circulations with um, a, a view to boosting advertising revenue. Um, these were the kinds of concerns that really bothered the Nazis because they had they cr created a large number of fairly apolitical newspapers. They toe the line basically and try to stay out of trouble. Um, but they um, saw were seen by the Nazis as serious competition. Not only were they able, able to suck in lots and lots of revenue, but their um, coverage was uh, pretty much uh, pretty much a, a sort of uh, a desert for for Nazi ideas. The ideal newspaper, as far as Goebbels was concerned, would be packed full of racial and ideological messages from start to finish, and simply having a broadly uh, apolitical and often parochial way of seeing the world was not good enough. So in 1935, Max Arman um, decided that he would um, issue three ordinances under Clause 25 of the Reich Press Chamber organ uh, Regulations. These ordinances said that Arman's power to close publishing enterprises uh, where competition created um, unsound publishing conditions uh, were now uh, were now in force. Um, they meant they required a detailed disclosure of the ownership of private publishing firms. So uh, the actual um, beneficial ownership of those firms had to be uh, set out, and our Aryan ancestry needed to be established for all owners, um, on the assumption that at least there would be at least some Jews or half Jews in there who could be uh, present the um, uh, the likes of armor with the pretext for shutting the newspaper down. Details of any subsidies received had to be disclosed as well. They excluded from future ownership of newspapers all corporate forms of business enterprise and legally registered societies, organisations, or public um, or, or private foundations or trusty representatives. So it meant that it was um, much, much harder for, um, say, for example, large numbers of shareholders to own um, a particular newspaper and therefore to um, object if the Nazis made a move uh, against the editorial content of the newspaper. And they also prohibited newspapers designed to appeal to confessional, vocational or special interest groups. So newspapers for uh, particular trades, uh, newspapers for special interests for um, minority groups, perhaps, or newspapers for um, religious groupings. So, uh, by 1935-36, the, uh, the clamping down of the newspaper industry was almost was was complete, and it should all it should never be overlooked with these things. The more base kind of instincts of the Nazis, and this was a regime based on uh, staggering corruption, and the newspaper industry then as now 
is um, and a source of uh, immense revenues uh, and the ability to channel those revenues into the party and into the pockets of individual uh, party members and senior party members was no small part of the motivation here. But of course, Goebbels was fighting his uh, uh, to bring about what he viewed as a, as a, a total uh, revolution in thought in Germany. Um, the kind of uh, idea that he espoused in 1933, where he believed that there should be no idle bystanders or uh, passive spectators in Nazi Germany, but those who participated fully in Nazi racial ideology. Anyway, I will finish there, um, and um, thanks very much for listening, and do always remember you can find us on Patreon, um, and we do survive uh, at the Explaining History podcast with a tiny trickle of and revenue and um, the kindness of our patrons. So if you can support us, that would be great. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.